<laughs> I'm, uh, I'm driving, so I probably won't be on too much, but uh, I definitely wanted to, uh, you know, ex- uh, get on and definitely say this was, it's not the best day in the world, but it's going to be all right. You know, it's uh, something we'll just have to uh, suffer through and there's going to be setbacks along the way. And it's not something that we were too surprised with, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, geez, I hope you're not plan on driving over any bridges or anything while we're on this chat <laughs> i will do my absolute best and if i did it was rodney joffy that did it so i, I, I... <laughs> um let's see here yeah we can go ahead and get started I, I assume we'll get a few more people in but i know everybody's kind of depressed with the news today so i don't know how big of a crowd we're gonna get um obviously everybody's probably heard the news by now uh, Michael Sussman was acquitted, and everybody's pretty bummed out about that. Um, I have a few takes on that. So, <laughs> I uh, I mean, I put this out, I think, on Twitter. I obviously had, like, a podcast on my Substack the other day. And basically, I've been saying zero chance of an acquittal. I was leaning towards a conviction. I thought there was a significant chance of a hung jury but I had a 0% chance of an acquittal. So I was wrong. <laughs> um, and I was, I mean, I'm shocked. And uh, obviously it's going to take a few days for it to settle in and uh, kind of take measure of that. Um, you know, obviously there's two elements to the charge, right? You have to prove that Michael Sussman lied and you have to prove that it was material. Now, I didn't think that there was any issues with the first element. I thought the evidence is really overwhelming that he did lie. Um, Baker was on the stand as a witness saying 100%. 100 He walked in the meeting. He said he was not representing the client. And then you have contemporaneous notes from Trisha Anderson and Bill Priestap on that day. You have the text message from the day before. You have a, you know, another consistent statement given to the CIA a little bit later. So, I thought that element was just absolutely crushed. Um, And I didn't think that'd be in dispute at all. And then on materiality, I mean, you had three or four different FBI agents who came on there and said, yeah, you know, if I had known that he was representing a political client, I would have not taken the meeting or I would have looked at it differently. And I thought that was really strong on materiality. So I was definitely leaning towards conviction. And obviously, uh, they acquitted. <laughs> so I, I found the question today extremely weird because for the jury to ask to see the taxicab exhibit, um, which Michael Sussman did not bill to the Clinton campaign, that was completely bizarre that the jury would be interested in that at all because Sussman already billed his time for the actual um meeting with the FBI and Michael Sussman admitted a year later that he was representing the client when he testified for Hipsy. So I thought that was really, really unusual because the only reason to ask for those taxi receipts would be if you are disputing uh, that first element of the false statement case, whether or not he represented the client. That's the only reason that you would ask to see those receipts. So that is completely bizarre and indefensible. And I think the jury got that completely wrong. 
especially if that was like the deciding point, which it seems to be because they went and they, they asked for that exhibit. And then, you know, obviously they received it, they looked at it, and within minutes they decided to vote to acquit him. So that's, that's extremely bizarre. Um, so starting off the first few days of the trial, I mean, I wasn't there for the first few days. Uh, I, you know, had a little bit of issue with Durham putting on the DNS expert as the first witness. Um, it did sound like they were a little bit shaky in that first, that first week. But then in week two, I actually made it out to the trial. So I was there for three days and I was very conscious and made sure that I was studying the jury. And as Durham was given their presentation, I would look at the jury, you know, see what they're responding to and what they weren't. And the jury was paying attention and they were writing down notes and the Durham team absolutely crushed it. I mean, they did give, you know, the first day I was there, they're a little bit shaky and the defense had a little bit of cross-examination. That was pretty good, but Durham crushed it the rest of the time that I was there. And then closing arguments were extremely strong for Durham. Um, you know, the defense did not have a good closing argument. Um, you know, the defense's case that went on for a couple of days was minimal. I mean, they had nothing that they actually presented. They put on like Tom Grasso, which didn't help their case at all. So I don't know. I don't know. I, everybody keeps saying DC jury. Um, I don't know. I, I look at that body of evidence and I, I am dumbstruck that 12 people could look at that and vote to acquit. I don't know how much more evidence you would, you know, want to put on in a false statement case. I mean, it, Everything was there. There wasn't all that much evidence that was really in dispute. I mean, other than, and I think it's a good point, you know, the, the text message the night before was not charged because Durham made a mistake. And because the text message was not charged, the defense was able to say, well, you know, how do you know Baker wasn't recalling the text message and not, um, you know, not making reference to an actual statement in the meeting that he had with Sussman, which is a good defense to make. Um, and that, that does speak to a few mistakes that John Durham made. Obviously, number one, um, if he had subpoenaed Jim Baker for all his phone records, he would have gotten the text message, and that would have been the charged offense. He would not probably have wasted his time with this back and forth between the actual meeting between Sussman and Baker. He would have charged... Uh, the offense around the text message. Now, Durham should have known better because he was investigating Baker, and I saw a FOIA fan make the same argument earlier today. You know, he was investigating Jim Baker for leaks, so he should have known. Um, you know, this might not be the the best witness to go ahead and trust. I, you know, I see we have a couple lawyers on here, and I, I want to get their thoughts on when you subpoena a witness. And uh, particularly a cooperating witness. I mean, you know, if you're trying to be, you know, I don't know what the procedure is or the standard practice is for when you, you're going to subpoena somebody like that if they're cooperating. But um, I'll turn it over to those guys here in a minute. Um, so, I mean, that, that was a big mistake by John Durham. Um, I think it's also worth noting. I mean, there's 1,500 emails from Fusion GPS. John Durham is not Pierce Privilege on. And we don't know what's in there. I, I, you know, I don't know that any of those 1,500 emails would be relevant to a false statement charge against Michael Sussman. But you can't rule it out. I mean, who knows? 
maybe there's Glenn Simpson saying, you know, hey, we got Michael Sussman taking over these fake allegations that we completely made up to the FBI on behalf of the Clinton campaign. You know, there, there could be something like that. And that speaks to a lack of preparation on Durham's part. He should have pierced privilege a couple years ago, and he should have those emails. Um, so that's another mistake by John Durham. And um, that sucks. So I know people are upset. Um, obviously, there'll be a little bit of, of uh, a little bit of that tonight, which is understandable. But I think it's worth pointing out: we learned a lot. I mean, the speaking indictment itself told us a, a massive amount about what happened in 2016. We learned about Rodney Joffe. We learned about Manos. We learned about Dagan and all the trial exhibits. You know, and I still have to go through a lot of those myself, but. You know, we, we got a lot of information from those. And I was looking through them a couple days ago, and I realized that Pianca, um, you know, obviously he's like a key player in all this. He was texting back and forth with field agents. He was sort of the gatekeeper on behalf of the, the headquarters for the FBI. So, you know, with Pianca coming back in the story, um, you realize that he got the, the list of Trump associates. And on that list of Trump associates, we know now was Sergey Milian. And I, I wrote a substack about this the other night. And because Million was on the list of Trump associates and it went to Pianca, and we know that, you know, it's worth pointing out again that Pianca was consulted when they opened a counterintelligence investigation into Million on October 12th. And you wonder what kind of conversations they had. You know, did he find it weird that he had just gotten this list with Million on it? And then, you know, he's being accused of being like, associate with it you know they got this counterintelligence investigation into him and then in december for sure um if not earlier pianca found out that sergey million was actually supposedly a source for the dossier and they didn't tell the fisa court that and i i saw this thread i recalled this thread from undercover huber who made the this point a couple years ago and you know you can't have a situation where pianca knows that Sergey Million is being investigated. There's an open counterintelligence investigation in Million, and then they don't inform the FISA court that he is supposedly the primary subsource that they are relying on for FISA warrants. That's insane. Um, one other point that I found that I realized today, I mean, David Dagan was named in testimony throughout last week as the author of the Alpha White Paper, or the believed author, author of the white paper by October. And then within, with, over the next year to a couple years, they obtained materials from David Dagan on the DNC hack. And they, they took those materials in the Department of Justice. They took them in on special counsel Mueller. So that's obviously a little bit later. But, you know, what kind of conversations did they have around that? And, you know, there's going to be a lot more of that that we – learn and we come to realize as we look further into these materials so that's enough for me um let me add some people here and b i don't know if you have any thoughts to add i'm gonna add ship and king here just real quick before uh before the heavy hitters come on the the thing that really grabbed me was one of the jurors as soon as they, they could get to a microphone basically said uh they, this should never have been charged because the, this charge was just not serious it wasn't important and that to me meant this this thing was never going to be a conviction because they 
there, he had a jury, at least one juror, and I suspect it was more of a block that walked in and probably stood on materiality and said, this charge isn't important and I'm not buying anything that, uh, that the prosecutors are feeding us on this conspiracy thing. And I don't, you know, I know John Durham's name and I don't, I don't buy into it. This is a big Trump thing. As soon as Trump's name came into it, I think it was a, really a dead issue. So I think there was some jury nullification that probably happened. And everything that happened today was probably just getting the last one or two holdouts, and finding some way to get them to, to not guilty. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on there. And boy, that hurt to see that juror come out and say something like that. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they obviously didn't deliberate all that long, but there's just no way. I mean, this was a, a very legitimate false statement case. And, you know, that's a very political statement for a juror to come out and, and make immediately like that. So I hated to see that. And obviously we're, we're seeing a bunch of, you know, smug jerks in the media and Christopher Steele's out there trolling people and it sucks. And hopefully, I mean, you know, I'm sure we all have a few people, you know, two or three people at least we're trying to tell them all about Russiagate and tell them what's going on. And they don't believe us, of course. And we tell them, just wait, you know, it'll happen. John Durham will indict some people or the media will start picking this up. And, you know, that just hasn't happened yet. And I still believe that it's coming. And more than ever now, after seeing everything that we, we got out of the Sussman trial, I think there are more indictments coming than I had thought two weeks ago. Um, to see the FBI leadership taking such an interest in October um, and then noting all these discrepancies again with, you know, Pianca and Strzok and Martha um, involved in, you know, the, the EC obviously CC'd and um, they're in the loop. You know, they know about all these different CHSs that are coming in with the similar allegations. And, you know, it's another situation where, you know, we don't know for sure. You, you know, we don't have the clear cut evidence that somebody did something criminal, but it backs up the timeline. I mean, everybody was looking at like January 2017 as like the, the starting point where what the FBI was doing was just, you know, made no sense anymore. And that backs up now. And it backs up probably to October where, you know, people should have been asking questions. And now it's month after month, um, you know, in the face of overwhelming evidence telling them to stop, they press forward. And that started in at least October now. So that's enough for me. Uh, Ship, King, if you guys want to jump in with your thoughts, go ahead. Well, uh, I came in and, and, and just heard uh, after you had started five or six minutes and, and you went you know right to the point that I think you know the, the trial actually turned on. And I even tweeted out this morning that uh, I'm not sure Cooper would have let a guilty verdict stand. And that because it comes down to a very difficult proposition that Durham faced. In, in, and I don't know if you know how many people really realize this, but the existence of the September 18th text message made Durham's case much harder, not easier. Because as you pointed out, it created a second source from which Baker might have recollected the no-client representation in the meetings on the 20th with Priestap and Anderson. 
you you have so initially you have Baker with no recollection when interviewed. You only have Priestep and Anderson's notes. What is this? Baker, you know, the first couple of times he's interviewed, he doesn't recall the meeting with Sussman, much less what happened in the meeting. All he knows is he got some materials and he passed it on. Priestap and Anderson don't recall their meeting with Baker. So all they've got are their written notes, and they don't recall the context of the comment made by Baker that caused him to write those notes or anything else he might have said. So you've got words on a page, and the three people involved all say initially they don't remember the conversation. Now, Baker over time changed his testimony, and by the time he got to trial, after having reviewed other documents, blah, 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 by the time he got to trial, he was adamant that in that meeting with Sussman, Sussman told him he wasn't representing any other client. Absent the text, that would have simply become a credibility question for Sussman. How good is his recollection now for the jury to evaluate? Do we believe him? that he's being honest, or do we not believe him? What the defense was able to do was to turn that around and say, maybe Mr. Baker is being completely honest. The problem is we don't know if on the 20th, Mr. Baker was recollecting the conversation with Mr. Sussman on the 19th, or Mr. Baker was recollecting the text message on the 18th, which, oh, by the way, he didn't remember he'd ever gotten until he pulled it up just a couple of months ago. The problem is that small little universe of facts set aside all the alpha bank stuff that came later. That small little universe of facts is almost certainly reasonable doubt. In the judge's mind, Judge Cooper could have easily come to the conclusion that given Baker's changing testimony, given the lack of any recollection of, of pre-step Ray Anderson as to what Baker may or may not have said to them, Given Baker's initial inability to place the, 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 the comments attributed to him, and given, oh, by the way, this text message that he doesn't even remember he got, but now we certainly know that he got on the night of the 18th, it, it's, it's simply not reasonable that any juror could have come to the conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. Sussman made that same claim in the meeting with Mr. Baker on the 19th. And that's, that's kind of the beginning and the end. Because once there's reasonable doubt as to whether he even made the statement on the 18th or Baker is recollecting the text message on the, or on the, made the statement in the meeting on the 19th or Baker is rec, uh, recollecting the test message from the 18th, it came over. That's it. The government's obligation, Durham's obligation, Durham's burden to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he made that statement in the meeting. And he didn't. And, and this is in some ways a consequence of, you know, having played chicken with the statute of limitations. Had he not played chicken with the statute of limitations, had he indicted that case a month before the statute ran out, then he would have benefited from the honor about wording of the, of the indictment. Because you don't have to prove the exact date the statement is made as long as the time frame in question is within the statute of limitations. So, you know, it was unfortunate that that juror came out and said what she did because she simply, you know, uh, you know, pulled back the curtain and let everybody see what really went on. But, you know, as a as a legal matter, 
I'm not sure a conviction would have stood up on the record. That's interesting. Yeah, I see Leslie and King. I don't know if you guys have thoughts to to add too. I do. Go ahead, jump. King. Um, I see it differently than Ship um, a little bit. I think the tell here was the the uh, question submitted to the court by the jury about. How do we handle a, a disagreement amongst the jury panel uh, uh, as to the individual elements, but we're aligned on the ultimate acquittal? That tells me you had some jurors who believed in what Ship just said. That is, there was no proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Sussman um, uh, said he wasn't representing a client. Uh, but you had other jurors, I think, who's, who said, who, who thought that, yeah, he said that, but it was true because We've got the taxi receipt, and we've got the fact that there's no mention of an FBI meeting in his billing to the Clinton campaign. So he must have turned the clock off when he went to the FBI, and he really legally wasn't representing a client. And you probably had some other jurors who were of the Andrew McCarthy uh, side on saying gee yeah he lied but it wasn't material because the FBI was bound and determined to turn this into a witch hunt and no matter who he represented so it was not material so you theoretically you had three different uh, sections of the of the jury believing three different hypotheses as to what happened, all of which combined into a unanimous verdict of acquittal. Uh, and to me, the big overall overriding picture is you probably had 12 jurors who believed in their heart that this was political. This prosecution by Durham was put together, launched by Barr on behalf of Trump. And it was a political prosecution against a D.C. lawyer, well-respected lawyer, on a kind of a, a, a very iffy legal theory. And I'm not going to be part of it. I'm going to vote to acquit. To me, that's what happened. Well, I think the Duke's the defense did a really nice job on cross-examination where, you know, they were able to impeach some witnesses and, you know, some of the government witnesses that they were relying on were under criminal investigation themselves. And going through the multiple meetings that they had with the special counsel, you know, they were able to take the jury through, you know, their first meeting, you know, they said they didn't know this or they gave a different story 
and then their you know their memory changed and, and things of that nature. I thought that was pretty effective. Um, you know, I think they were also effective on materiality and showing that um, you know the FBI, you know, nothing actually changed and going through some of those decisions that were made, um, you know, it, it, they had the opportunity to interview David Dagan early on. And, you know, the impact to the FBI and the investi- investigative steps that they ultimately took, you know, the damage that they actually uh, incurred was really the result of their own decision-making. When they had a willing source to come forward and clear up any discrepancies, I thought that was pretty effective. I mean, obviously, I think it's a hard concept uh, for jurors and people in general, materiality. I mean, it's not necessarily that a decision actually changed. It's the inclusion or the omission of of certain information that could change a decision. And that's a really hard concept for people to grasp onto. So, uh, Leslie, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on the same page that you are in terms of the lawyering i thought the defense lawyering was very good and i thought the government's lawyering was terrible that their preparation if you want to call it that of witnesses was ridiculous they did not have them prepped to deal with what are really obvious lines of cross-examination documents that they should have gone over with them and if they did that they should have presented in their direct examination just, I mean, even just small things and, and essential elements. They had to ask Cooper to take judicial notice of the fact that the FBI is an agency of the government after they've rested their case, which is one of their elements of proof. I mean, it was incredibly poor lawyering. I was astonished at this. And to the contrary, uh, the defense did very good lawyering. Um, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily always get you the win you could be the best lawyer in the courtroom and still lose but you know they had Durham's team had sufficient proof to get a conviction in my view in this case but they did not present a coherent compelling tight narrative to the jury all of that nonsense about why they were keeping the identity of the source away from the agents actually doing the work made no sense whatsoever. I I sat through the whole first day of testimony myself down at the courthouse and it was ridiculous how incomprehensible it was why that was happening. Um, And they never gave the jury a coherent explanation for why they did that and therefore then how it made any sense them claiming that, um, you know, it, it was somehow Sussman's fault, if you want to look at it from a basic level, that he didn't, you know, reveal the true source of his identity. We, you've got the managers not giving the true source to the agents. This just, I mean, I know that's sort of Andy McCarthy's theory, and I'm not on completely the same page as him. But, you know, it, it just, it, it was like hide the ball the whole way through. And you can't do that to a jury, especially when you're the government. It has to make sense. It has to hang together. Right. And if it doesn't, they're not going to go with you. And, you know, as a trial lawyer, I look at it sort of day by day, witness by witness. Right. And who's doing better with each witness? And other than maybe two witnesses late on the second week of trial, the defense did better with each and every witness that came along. And you can't win that way. 
when you're on the other side. So I was not surprised. I thought last week, by midweek last week, I thought the case was over before the defense even started. So I was not shocked at all. But I was shocked at the lack of, of trial uh, skill on display. That's interesting. I I was in the courtroom one day there, and I took notes down, and I actually noted that I thought the defense had better lines of questioning. But my note was that I didn't think the defense actually moved the ball forward all that much. I thought, you know, if you actually went through what the prosecution was saying, albeit somewhat poorly, I thought the evidence was all there. And it was compelling that, you know, Sussman had lied and that the lie was material. And then on cross-examination, I never felt like the defense actually addressed either one of those elements. You know, they did a good job of making the government look silly and look, you know, making the FBI look incompetent, but I never felt like they actually addressed materiality. And obviously I was wrong about that. So, <laughs> Well, if you're the defense and you're making headway with the government's witnesses, you're winning. I mean, that, yeah, that shows right. the, the oddness of this speak. case, though. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the case went off the rails in my mind as I said last week, when they took two weeks to prove what happened in a 20 minute right, conversation. Exactly. It's insane. You know, the, the case should have been three yeah, days. And you don't start you know, with your fucking a, and, expert witness. That's not your first witness. Right. And, and, and from the, from the reporting, it seemed as though Al Gore, which every time I hear that, I think <laughs> Al Gore, but I think Jonathan Al Gore is his name. Um, from the reporting, he did a very good summation. He had it tight and concise and in chronological order, and it went from A to B to C to conclusion. Well, why not present the case like that? Right. You, you know, I, 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 and, and my, my answer to my own question is, DeFilippis and Durham sitting in the background, I think, wanted to try their narrative. They wanted their narrative facts in the record. Now, let's ask, let's ask ourselves this question. Before September 19th, 2021, who the hell ever heard of Michael Sussman? You know, Sussman was not really thought to be, well, who the hell ever heard of, you know, Joffe or the others before this trial? Right. right. So, so, you know, Durham picked kind of a curious target to bring a one count false statement in D.C., all of those are curious decisions. Well, I've been which, thinking which, about this. And as you guys know, my husband is a, was a prosecutor, federal prosecutor for 10 years and has been a defense lawyer for now for 35. And we both had the same conclusion, which is the Durham people really thought Sussman was guilty. They were personally convinced of it and they were offended by his conduct. Right. He's a former DOJ official. He went he did this. It's obvious this is very bad behavior. I think they thought they had to prosecute this guy. They could not give him a pass. But that's not the same as making a good presentation to the jury to convince people who aren't already convinced. And they, they presented their witnesses as if it was just oh so obvious that they were right when <laughs> it was not oh so obvious, uh, especially if you were someone who was predisposed not to want to believe them. You know, I agree with Al, Al Gore's closing was good, but he's making the argument that this wasn't even a close case and that it was not right. By the time you got to the end of the case, 
it was a close case. Him telling them in his rebuttal that it wasn't close is not helping you. Well, so. well, think about this. So, so, so it, as it turned out, I thought the way they used the summary witness at the end, you know, pulling out individual mm-hmm. uh, that pages was, that of, was pretty of summary effective. documents. Yeah. You know, you, because you know there's thousands of pages of billing records. There's, you right. know, all kinds of stuff that they had. So why not do that early? Right. Why, why not bring that good evidence to the jury's attention in the first couple days? The direct evidence of guilt. Well, and Sussman's testimony to the Congress. That was their last evidence that they put in. That was insane to me. Why would you end on that? Well, it's a strong point. Yeah, you've already lost your case by the you've time lost, you got you there. You've lost. Exactly. You've <laughs> lost by the time you get to your winning points. You've already lost yeah. the jury. Right. Exactly. They have. They lost I, them I, the week before. <laughs> you know, we, 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 it's <laughs> almost like you and I talking on the phone like we always do, but it, it goes back to the line I used last week. Has nobody played this game before? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was my husband's opinion. He's, uh, you know, been practicing law 45 years, I think now. He was like, what? There's, there's, this, where are the trial lawyers trying this case? Right? This, it's like they don't know what the hell they're doing. This nope. is not how you do this. No real trial lawyer would start off with that expert witness oh like that. Oh, my this. God. I was astonished. <laughs> I thought, what, has this guy got a scheduling problem? He's got to be back in New York? I mean, what the hell? You don't start with that person. It's not effective. No, you, 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 you have to grab the jury and grab the jury's attention. Yeah, and, and make they want the jury... that right out of the box. They just heard yeah. your opening and the defense opening, whatever that was, and then now they're like, boom, first witness, who is it? And that's who you put up? Oh. Yeah. You, you, you've you've got about a two-day window to grab the jury by the throat and convince them you've you're you have a serious case and they have to pay attention and you have to get them leaning on your side. You've got two days max, and if you don't do it in that time period, you've lost. And that's the government. As a defense lawyer, I would say, King, I think you do some defense work, too, don't you? That I mean, if you haven't gotten them partially on your side by the end of close or by the end of opening statements, you have lost because, you know, you're not going to get to present your evidence till you know, two weeks later. So you you have to grab their attention really, really early. But, yeah, they, there's a certain grace period where they let the government, you know, roll their case out. But they wasted it in this case with with stuff that they didn't need to start with. And then that poor agent Hellman, the first, you know, witness after the expert, you know, here he's telling them, I don't understand why the, why the management wouldn't let me see who it was. And they, if you were going to do all of that, why didn't you explain it to him in your opening statement? And they never actually put on any proof of why the Bureau actually took that approach. I, I was just flabbergasted by that. What's the jury supposed to think? And the other thing is, they just didn't do stuff that I thought, this is obvious. Why didn't they put on any proof that, that Sussman going to the Bureau against the interests of his client would not have happened? Right? So Mook testifies, oh, we didn't trust the Bureau. We didn't really want him going over there. And the defense is saying, well, you know, he did that because it was on his own time. What? In complete violation of all of his ethical obligations to his clients? That's not what happened. That's absolutely not what happened. But they didn't touch that at all. It was the most frustrating thing. You know, I'm never rooting for the prosecution. This is like the one case (laughs) where I wanted them to do well. And I'm watching it, thinking to myself, 
how come, why don't these stumble bums show up in the cases that I'm trying to defend? That's how bad I thought it was. I was thinking about a few points where, I mean, the prosecution just let their witnesses get ambushed. Yeah, and, they did. They did. Yeah. And how can that be? <laughs> how can that be? And, and it, you, it couldn't have been because the defense was using the 302s, the interview reports, where Durham's team had gone over the exact same things with these witnesses. And with every witness, there's good and bad. Very few witnesses are completely clean cut all one way, right? Sometimes, but not usually. So it's not like the Durham people didn't know that those problems existed, but they didn't bother to address them in their direct testimony. And then when the defense lawyer on cross-examination brings out stuff that hurts you, it's way worse. But they walked into that. uh, I lost, I stopped counting how many witnesses that they let that happen to their own witnesses. I've never actually seen the prosecutors do that, where they didn't, what lawyers call taking out the sting, apparently for any witness. I couldn't believe it. Let me go return to my initial conclusion, which is you had a difficult jury. If you're a prosecutor here in D.C., you have a high bar to present a case that grabs the attention of a jury that is instinctively believing that you're on a political uh, a witch hunt of some kind against Democrats. And if you can't bust through that, like right up front, uh, you lose. That's, and that's essentially what happened. Yeah, exactly. Didn't have any two-day grace period. Yeah, my husband, who's listening in, is saying that in this case, there was no two-day grace period even. Like, you had a narrower window than that to convince these folks to be open-minded. I think that's right. So, I just was astonished at how it went, but the poor lawyering, I just couldn't believe and and i just to the point where i'm like what is going on with this right i don't want to say they threw the case because i don't think they did i think they were convinced but combination of they drank their own bath water and none of them had seen the inside of a courtroom often enough in a trial situation just torpedoed it and they had so many hurdles to overcome already cooper i thought was helping the defense and was doing so more than typically I would expect from a judge here. Um, my own personal observation of him is that I don't, I thought he didn't care for DeFilippis. Um, I thought Berkowitz was the lawyer who was controlling the well of the courtroom. So you're already working against all of that, but then you're making all these mistakes also. There's just no way to win when you do that. You know, I, I, I've looked, not a lot, but the little bit I've seen is that Berkowitz has got a pretty good reputation as a, uh, from his time at Justice and then now in private practice. He's been, uh, he's regarded as a pretty highly effective uh, trial advocate. Um, Dee Filippis, he's out of, he's out of, is he out of Connecticut or is he out of the Eastern District of New York? He's from someplace not here because his line, his 
way of doing things was not going over in this courthouse at all. And that was another point. I don't understand why they didn't have any uh, U.S. attorney from the actual D.C. office here. You know, that it would have been harder for Cooper to do some of the things that he did if he was dealing with a lawyer that he from the office that he was used to dealing with. But that New York, Connecticut style doesn't play well sometimes with the judges here. King, it must do even worse where you're from. Yes, you. Uh, I learned early on that uh, best practice is to find somebody local to at least advise you how to act. And uh, but I would go further than that. I would get somebody local who would take an active role and to to, to talk to the judge because they talk the same language. Right, and they didn't do that. And Chip, you're right. Berkowitz has a good reputation here, uh, and you know he he was the one that was getting the judge's attention all the time. So, what uh, I didn't see. What did the juror that you're talking about? What did she actually say? Is she the one saying that they just didn't think it was any big deal? Case it shouldn't have been brought. Case more, it shouldn't have been brought. More. more uh more important things facing our country you know yeah right january january 6th got a lot of january 6th defendants in front right my husband has a good story about that when he was a young young lawyer tried this case with a young man who'd stolen a hang tag was it out of a car out of a car on like a local you know university parking garage and the u.s attorney's office indicted that case or you know, charge that case and they took it to trial. And of course, the jury acquitted him. And the defense lawyer's argument was something along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, isn't it a beautiful day today? <laughs> the birds are singing and the bees are buzzing. And, you know, like, what the hell are we doing at the courthouse with this stupid ass case? So, you know, sometimes that argument works. It, yeah, she said expressly that. And there was another juror that said pretty much the same thing. Uh, both of them said this was a waste of time. Well, that's because it was a three-day case that took nine, well, let's see, 11 trial days. <laughs> She's right about that. <laughs> yeah, but, but uh, you know, the uh, I mean, she clearly, I mean, it was clearly jury nullification. She didn't yeah. care if he'd lied. She didn't right. care if the lie was material. Right. She didn't think the case should have been brought. So it was a, her judgment on the exercise of prosecutorial discretion, not her judgment on the exercise uh, or, or on the, not her judgment on the on the evidence. Right. Yeah. But, but that's how they came into this case. I'd say the majority of the, on the jury thought that way, that this this was a political prosecution. I, I agree. I agree. That was always an uphill battle. And that's why. As I said, it was always a curious decision. I think Leslie makes a good point, but I think it was a curious decision to have brought this charge against this guy who nobody ever heard of in the District of Columbia. I mean, he was trapped by venue in the District of Columbia. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it, it you know, now he's going to go across the river to take Danchenko's case, which has got a good deal more substance on sort of the other fork of the Trump Russia hoax, you know, the one fork was now 
uh, the Alpha Bank, and the other fork is the um, you know Steele uh, dossier and the Page FISA. So now we're headed over to the other fork in a different courthouse with a different jury pool and a different judge. Yeah, it'll go very different. So I practice in both those courthouses, and it's like night and day, even though there's probably only you know ten miles between them. We've taken a we've taken in the. Uh, in some of the J6 cases, we've taken a long, hard look at that other courthouse. And just for a few examples, the um, the uh, the voting population of the District of Columbia, as is a matter of public record, voted 91 to 5 percent for Joe Biden. There's approximately 400,000 voters in the District of Columbia. And the the uh, juror pool comes primarily from voter rolls as well as some some other uh, information, licensing information, driver's license, stuff like that, but mostly from voter rules. So you've got kind of a, a big overlap between those two pools of individuals. Now you go across the river, you go from 400,000 to 2.4 million people in just the seven counties that are part of the Eastern, the, the Alexandria division of the Eastern District of, of, of Virginia. And uh, so 2.4 million, seven counties compared to, you know, 400,000 uh, in one little 10 square mile area that, you know, 91% are Biden voters. I don't know what the demographics of the voting pool was like or what the voting demographic was like in the Eastern District of Virginia. I'm sure Biden carried that with a large segment of, of government workers over there. However, you know, you get outside of Alexandria and Arlington and Fairfax and the composition of the juror pool begins to change significantly. Yeah, as you go down 95, it becomes more conservative. So, but yeah, this close-in part, which is where we live, um, is very liberal. Although they're, they're conservatives here too, but it's it's still mostly Democrats. Uh, but the courthouse is not. It's not 91 to 5. <laughs> no. Oh, well, but no place is, right. The DC's yeah. alone in that, but but yeah, but the courthouse is very different than the surrounding <laughs> voter pool, I think. Right. So I'll have to look in, on the docket and see, have they pulled in a EDVA lawyer in that case for their trial team? Um, hey, Sean, I saw you had your hand up a second ago. I didn't know if you have a comment. Yeah, not really a comment, I guess, just more of a question for the lawyers in the room, which is that, you know, a few weeks ago, it was kind of concerning me. I was like, why is Sussman even going to trial? I mean, the evidence seems pretty good here. Um, and it seems like worst case scenario to me is, you know, he would have gotten a conviction and then uh, everyone would have called it politically motivated. You know, at some point, I guess the Biden administration would have just kind of commuted his sentence, even though his sentence probably would have been would have been like picking up trash on the side of the road for the afternoon or something like that. Um, and then the second question, which probably has the same answer, is what was Durham really hoping to achieve besides the speaking indictment in terms of building the larger case and, you know, all the things that we know happened here? Um, you know, what would a, a conviction of Sussman done to further that besides public perspective? Um, because it, it really doesn't seem like con consequence to him, to Sussman, would have been significant enough for him to have uh, cooperated and given any kind of more insight into really the way this whole thing 
started, which, you know, in the Alpha Alpha Bank instance really has to do with April Lawrence and who tasked her with looking up these bizarre domain names. But, you know, I was wondering if any of the lawyers in the room had anything to say about that, that aspect. Well, let me go first as a defense lawyer so I can tell you that basically this is the kind of client who doesn't plead guilty. He goes to trial because he's got a triable case. You've got defenses and he's a wealthy white collar professional. And so he might as well take his chances and see if he can get the not guilty, because if he pleads and gets the conviction on his record that way, now he's got a problem with the bar. He's going to lose his law license, at least for some period of time. Right. He, he's he's going to lose his prestige in the community. He will have admitted guilt. I mean, the, the, these are things that are almost worse for this kind of a client than going to jail, which his sentencing guidelines are not going to be bad. He's got no prior record. Right. The, it's a one thousand and one count. There's no money associated with it. There's 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 not the three things that tend to drive up the guidelines, which is money, violence and drugs. None of those apply in this case. And so he's not going to get much of a sentence from Cooper, even if he crashes and burns and goes to trial. And so with that kind of a client, if he's got the money to go to trial, he almost certainly will. So that's why he went to trial. He had really almost more to lose by pleading than by going to trial. And I'll add to that, that, you know, what we didn't know, but Berkowitz and Sussman certainly Mm -hmm. did know. Yeah. Is all the evidence, all the information they had to use against Durham. Yeah, they had more and, and, evidence than I thought they did going in for sure with the yes. billing records and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and just the three oh twos and the ability yeah. to cross examine and, and knowing that, you know, the testimony of people like Priestap and Anderson and the grand jury was I don't remember nothing about nothing. Um, you know, they knew all of that and the public didn't. That you know, that's all discovery that was relatively closely held. It wasn't published. So, you know, if I was based on just what I knew, kind of reading in the press reports, if I was Berkowitz, I would have told him the same thing. Yeah. It's like, no, no, you don't need to plead guilty here. We will either win this outright or worst case in the district, we'll get a hung jury. You know, that, right. that's, that's the worst case. You crash and burn and somehow you get convicted. OK, you're not nothing's worse going to happen to you than what happens if we plead. Right. <laughs> that's true. Right. Not on these facts, not where he is on the guidelines, not a guy with this lack of record. No. So. Yeah, it was uh, it, that was, you know, now looking at the evidence, that was kind of an easy call. And I go yeah. back to the, you know, the existence when that when that text message came out, it's like, oh, there's our defense. There's the hole we have to pound through Durham's case. Right. So, so Durham... second question was about more about like what the effect that's going to have. So. Yeah, parlaying, you know, Sussman into cooperating was never a prospect based on No, (laughs) nope. Yeah, no, that guy was never going to cooperate. Why should he? So uh, would you say that this is kind of just like, you were saying earlier that it was almost based on principle as like a DOJ attorney, um, you know, that you felt that Durham's team felt like they had to try this um, on on that basis, but... uh, they wouldn't have had any uh, hope that this would have uh, landed a bigger fish, if you will. No, no, I don't think so. From start to finish, not with this defendant. Maybe they think so with some of the others, but they didn't think that with Klein Smith either. I don't think, I think they see these as siloed. I mean, let me ask a question. That's kind of a tangent off that question. 
I mean, if Durham was going to decide that they were going to indict Sussman for a conspiracy charge, would they bother with this false statement case at all? Well, they would have had to charge it by the same statute of limitations date, right? Or, or lose it. So the fact that they did charge him with this, I, I think is clear indication. Ship, what do you think? That they're not going to charge him with anything else. It's one and done for this guy. I agree. He's, he's done. Uh, they could have thought about a conspiracy charge and they would not have faced the same statute of limitations. Right. Because exactly. they could have done that longer. They and, could have you know, fact that, Yeah, right. But they're obviously not going to do that, don't you think, King? Because they, Mark Elias got up there, didn't plead the fifth. He testified in the grand jury and at this trial. You know, Steele, same thing. They had him on their witness list. I don't think Durham has any intention of bringing a conspiracy case that involves this part of it. I the, agree. the law firm. I, I agree, 100%. Yeah, I, I, you know, when, when Elias testified, that sort of, uh, you know, was a head-scratching moment for me. He had no fear of getting on the stand. The only person who has asserted the fifth. Well, no, well, okay, let's think about this. But, you know, we, we know that... Uh, Joffe's asserted the fifth, but he has a completely different yeah. I think uh, they may indict him. Exposure, yeah, unrelated to the campaign shenanigans, right? Uh, or tangentially related to the campaign shenanigans. But but I think Durham might have you know looked at all of this. Remember, he didn't prosecute the the destruction of the CIA interrogation tapes. Um, I think he may have looked at all this and said, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a collection of campaign dirty tricks. It was, you know, it, it perpetrated a fraud upon the public, and it made use of, and 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 some made use themselves of government actors. But there's still road to travel before you get to a criminal conspiracy, and and we can't, we we don't have the evidence to go down that additional distance in the roads. Just as a quick aside, why do you think he played chicken with the statute of limitations? I think they were talking to Sussman right up to the last day to, to, to convince him to you know plead to an information and, and, and not to have all of that go public. And then when they had to, you know, they laid it all out there. And sometimes as a defense, defense lawyer, you do that, right? You, it's like, well, indict my guy. You know, you're tra- talking to them about a plea, which you have no intention of entering because your guy doesn't want to plead guilty. But until they indict him, he's not indicted. And the statute of limitations is what it is. In the big picture, I don't. I, I, I'm still waiting to see some sign of life in the Durham team. They they have made mistake after mistake both during the trial and even more so before the trial, strategically. Uh, there's no excuse for doing what they did with the uh, privilege issue. Uh, they, I mean, they, they won it, but they lost it. They couldn't use any, priv- any documents that the other side held back as privileged. The judge said, you can't use it. It was too late. Right. And you don't you don't usually see that. A lot of times the judges would have not made that ruling. But I also don't understand why they waited so late to challenge that. Ship, do you have any insight into why that, that happened? 
might have. You, you know, I, I, I mean, I think I think they did not want to have that fight with Judge Howell, so they didn't do it pre-indictment. Well, that's true. Once they indicted the case, if you look at the if you look at the um, trajectory of the case to get to trial in May from a September indictment is pretty fast. Even though it's just a one count case, I don't think they expected to go to trial in May. You know, what are we at? Nine months mm-hmm. post indictment. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's pretty fast. I think they expected that they would have more time. But then, you know, Cooper, you know, didn't allow for any more time. And Sussman was pushing to keep his trial date in May as set. And, you know, the calendar just became what it but it, what it was, and, and there wasn't enough time left to, I, I mean, I, I, again, I think Cooper's, the, the one place where I said, where I would think, you know, Cooper exposed himself a little bit was by not allowing those records after they'd been the subject of a discovery dispute for several months when Sussman knows what's in them. Right. I agree. They're yeah, from was... his law firm. Right. They're from the law firm that he was a member of for years and years and years. He right. likely knows loud. exactly what's in them. Right. So I laughed out loud when, when I read his order that says, oh, that would be unfair to him. That's preposterous. Yeah. And evidence comes up sometimes in the middle of trial. Right. That gets disclosed in discovery because that's when the government get, gets it for whatever reason. It did. And I, I agree, Ship and Leslie, that... Um, uh, maybe they were caught by surprise by Judge Cooper's uh, ruling, but uh, the D.C. grand jury was not the only place they had a grand jury going. Uh, they could have, if they didn't like Judge Howell, they had another grand jury in Virginia. Uh, they, To me, there's no excuse for kicking the privilege issue down that can down the road. Uh, that's something in this kind of case, you have to aggressively pursue it up front. Right. I agree. And even if they were afraid how will rule against them, then, then take her up to the circuit. Um, because even Cooper didn't find that, that a lot of that stuff was privileged because it wasn't <laughs> right. So yeah, I, I just wonder if that's just, they decided more toward the end well, maybe we might want this stuff. They didn't even respond to his ruling, sort of like it didn't matter to them. And, and I think part of what we see here is a consequence of, you know, Durham keeping this effort, at least the staffing this effort, you know, quite small. Yeah. You know, if you're only going to have six lawyers, well, you're only going to get the work that six lawyers can produce on a normal work cycle. Is that all he and has? So, is six? I, I mean, I don't know that he's got any more than that left over. Oh, my God. You know, some of them left. I, I speculated when some of the people were publicly said to have left in uh, the fall of 2020 that those were probably Garrity teams that had reviewed a lot of the FBI materials for mm-hmm. privilege, for Garrity issues and um, and then once they were done they were tainted obviously by by the information they yeah, had now you, now you need new guys fucking new guys so then they deported yeah yeah right. but but 
I mean, you've seen you've seen in Carter Page's case the name of some of the people involved. I mean, how many more names are there you've seen that weren't in this trial? Well, you know, when, with my dealings with them in Carter's case, there was one uh, lawyer from the U.S. Attorney's Office here. He was not on this trial team for Sussman. And the other lawyer that we dealt with was also not on this team. He's from the Northeast. So, you know, there's a... But that it made sense that they only had two. They basically took a plea, and they're doing the sentencing, right? So right. I, th- that didn't surprise me. But, yeah, well, if that's all he has, that makes more sense. Because this case would have gone a lot better if they'd have had a really seasoned trial lawyer basically managing the case from the perspective of presenting it, right? The order of call, how the witnesses fit together, prepping them, you know, have we got all of our elements in, you know, and they... They just look like they haven't done enough trials to me. But who who are anybody can jump in? Who knows this? Who who are the? I mean, other than obviously Durham signed the uh, main paperwork for Danchenko. What other lawyers' names appear in the docket over there? As, as uh, having made uh, entries for Durham on for the, the prosecution side. Yeah, let me see if I've got something from the docket here. I may or may not. Hold on. You would have thought that they would have two separate groups of lawyers. I mean, it wouldn't. I mean, it doesn't take ten lawyers on each team, but at least three on each team working each of those cases separately, and then you know a couple of people that have some responsibility for overseeing both. And oh, by the way, whatever else they might be doing. Right. Exactly. That's what I assumed. But if that's not the case, that would make more sense why this turned out the way it did in terms of presentation. I'm yeah, I don't recall place. any other lawyers um, in the Danchenko case that we haven't seen in this one. I'm trying to pull it up here myself. Well, they've got Judge Tranga there, so that's an improvement. Hey, Hans, I see you're hanging out here. Do you have any thoughts you want to get into? Hey, uh, sure. Um, I I almost feel like I don't want to talk about, um, you know, who did what and what lawyers and whatever. (laughs) It's it's all done. And uh, I completely agree with King. Uh, Durham messed up. I didn't think he'd mess up this bad. You know, we've been calling out the sort of the small messes he's caused along the way, starting with Klein Smith. That was two years ago. And I remember saying he messed that up. And I know people came out, oh, he didn't mess it up. He had some, you know, 48D plan or whatever. No, he messed it up. And, you know, now he's messed this up. So I, I don't hold out much hope. But I think the much, much, much bigger problem uh, that I've written about a bit, and I'm going to start writing about a lot more, is how you just cannot get justice in the D.C. courts. The problem is that that's where you need to have, you need to get the justice because most of the, you know, government departments and agencies and so on are, are located in that, in that area. 
So that's a real problem. Look at McCabe. I mean, that, that's, I've been thinking about McCabe a lot today. He lied to um, the Inspector General. He was called out on it. He admitted it. He apologized. And you know what? He got away with it. Barr said, no, we're not going to prosecute. Barr always kind of, both in his book and in his interviews, he always kind of fudged around the issue a bit. After today, I'm pretty clear as to what happened there. They, they knew they just couldn't get McCabe, you know, the sort of DC uh, insider, Democratic Party royalty with the wife and all that. Yeah, they're not going to get this guy convicted in a DC court. But, you know, here you got the deputy director of the FBI, a thoroughly corrupt man, a man who caused so much trouble for Trump on this whole Russiagate saga. He was the one who started Crossfire Hurricane. That's in Strzok's book. He says, well, I didn't, I didn't want to start it. McCabe told me to. That's, that, he started it. He was the one who put the, the fraudulent steel dossier in the ICA. That was McCabe. He was the one on March 6th who went to DOJ and lied his ass off about having, you know, this super duper evidence against Trump and so on, which was all bullshit. That was all McCabe. And then, of course, he was the one in May of 2017 who opened the investigation into Trump himself. That was McCabe. And you had such a thoroughly corrupt guy and you can't even prosecute him because of the D.C. jury pool. And that's a completely fucked up system. And on the other hand, you got someone like Flynn, and he has to plead right away because he knows he doesn't stand a chance in the D.C. jury pool system. So, you know, bigger picture out of all of this, that has to be fixed. Otherwise, you don't have a republic. Man, that's good stuff. Yeah, I agree with you totally there. I mean, it's a messed up system that we have. And you know, we saw it during the trial today. Uh, Apparently, the, the screen flipped over, and Judge Cooper was taking a guilty plea from January 6th defendant who was looking at, like, 14 months in prison. And then you have Sussman, and, you know, despite the poor presentation, I, I really feel like the evidence was actually overwhelming and very clear that he did lie and that it was material and he should have been convicted. And, you know, you look at the ramifications of that lie and the chance they had to stop not only the alpha allegations, but you know, they really should have taken a step back and saw all this political pressure and this, you know, the multitude of CHS is coming in with similar allegations and they were connecting the dots. We saw that in the field agents, they testified. Yeah. yeah we know, you know, we thought, you know, the CHS was probably connected to tea leaves and you know, they're, were, they're were making the dots. I mean, the field agents knew what was going on and the FBI leadership, you know, looks corrupt as hell. And, you know, you should be able to, to get answers. I mean, it shouldn't be as bad as it is. I'm looking at their budget for like the last, uh, it's like April to September of last year. And the personnel costs are under 700 grand. So that can't be that many lawyers. And their website says that these same guys are trying Danchenko's case. Well, you know. That that New York Connecticut thing doesn't work in D.C. It definitely does not work in Alexandria. So they need to be getting somebody on board there from the EDVA if they haven't already. Uh, I don't think the uh, personnel costs in their budget uh, include uh, DOJ lawyers, and I think most everybody Durham's got are are just on detail to it. They're oh they're it's, not including in his budget. Well, okay. No, no. The the, the personnel cost is for you know people that he had to hire for one reason or another. But DTLEs don't cost him anything. They're getting okay. the normal salary they'd get otherwise. 
Well, that's better anyway. Yeah, unlike those, the, those three unlike guys the, are not going to fly. Uh, yeah. Now they'll, you know, Tranga's a better judge for him, but oh my! So yeah. it, it's Deep Lippa's Al Gore, and I guess yeah. no, somebody somebody said what guilty, guilty, or how it pronounces the it. The female lawyer in the Sussman trial, the female uh, special mm-hmm. counsel lawyer in Sussman, was from the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia. Oh, Shaw's from the from the office here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'll have to look her up because that's news to me. All right, let's see. Well, that would explain why Cooper was more solicitous of her when she did her opening, if he knows her. Undead, a lot of what you saw that went favorably for the prosecution was uh, evidence that tended to show a conspiracy. Uh, although the judge, the judge's rulings did a whole lot to cut a lot of that off. Yeah, they they managed to get some of that in. And when it came in, it was powerful. And that's that's another problem with the whole approach Durham took. He tried to prove a conspiracy in a false statement case. And one, the judge wouldn't let him do it. And two, it it wasn't impressive to the jury. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly correct. Uh, Sean, I didn't know if you were going to speak. Go ahead. Well, that's exactly what I was going to ask about because, I mean, it's very clear to me at this point that these uh, DNS requests were instigated by the people who went looking for them. So it takes a little time to explain, but basically you or I could instigate, instigate DNS requests that were basically the substance of the AlphaBank uh, hoax. And then uh, if you were in a privileged position where you own a DNS company like Joffe or Lawrenson or anyone with access to those records, then you could go looking for them. And as the FBI agent put it, lo and behold, there they are. It concerns me a little bit that they're presenting this in the false statement case because it seems to me that it's a little bit ancillary to this uh, charge. Um, and really, Lawrenson, to me, is the person that you would want to talk to. She's referred to as Originator One, uh, which, you know, is, as far as the narrative goes, like Franklin Four's uh, article says, she just happened to stumble upon these requests, which is nonsense. Uh, this was totally um, instigated and then, quote unquote, found and then passed through. But I was wondering if... Uh, King or anyone else thought that was a little bit concerning that they were presenting that um, how would you put it the uh, just the unlikelihood of uh, those requests or the, the the doubt that you would cast on those requests being legitimate in this case if that's a little concerning to you for a broader um, conspiracy charge uh, against whether it be Lawrenson or Joffe or anyone else. Because to me, it seems like you would you would bring that up separately. It, it wouldn't necessarily be part of this this charge. I agree with you. I think he, it would have been a stronger case 
had this been brought by uh, as a conspiracy charge, uh, not necessarily involving suspect, but there are others who could be targets to a conspiracy case uh, because the evidence came in. Uh, the one of the strongest pieces was how quickly it took uh, help um, the FBI guy Hellman, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, to conclude that it was all fake, uh, and he he I mean, he spotted it and documented it, and I think in one of the people he was reporting to. Uh, wrote back and uh, texted back and said, uh, we think it's a setup. That's powerful. And that obviously went over the jury's head. I'll well, say a little bit about... went over their head because the government didn't bother to explain them. That happened over and over again. I just was astonished at that too. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I... I... I was a little bit surprised. I mean, or I was thinking a little bit about David Dagan. I mean, he's been fully immunized now for like 10 months. So as it relates to a broader conspiracy case, specifically against Rodney Joffe, I hope that Durham is getting a little bit more out of Dagan than he seemed to get out of Laura Sego. Um, I was really surprised that they brought Sego in. And I had to go back and look at the transcript, but it really seemed like Durham did not get what they thought they were going to get out of Sego when they gave her immunity. Um, and to bring her into the trial, I mean, uh, I think something went wrong there. I, I, I want to look at the transcript again. I mean, they brought her in just to testify to the existence of a meeting, it seemed like. I mean, they didn't seem to get into much, much else, and they didn't even talk about what was said in the meeting or anything like that. So um, I, I was really underwhelmed by Laura Sego, and I, I don't know if that went according to plan at all. What went wrong there was the judge's ruling on privilege. Uh, they couldn't ask her about anything that was said at that meeting. Right. All, all they covered was this topic, the topic discussed, but nothing as to who said what to whom uh, because of the judge's ruling. Okay, so I'm looking at the docket now for Denshenko, and it's got three lawyers listed for the USA, and it's uh, DeFilippis, Al Gore, and is it Kielty? Is that how he says his name? I have no idea. I'm not talking to you. Um, Mike Kielty, K-E-I-L-T-Y, says yeah. he's with the special counsel. Yeah, and he's a, he, he had done, he's, I think he's on the paperwork. He had done some of the paperwork, I, I, I recall, in the Sussman case. Yeah. Now, it says Al Gore's DOJ USAO, U.S. Attorney's Office, on N Street, Northeast. But, you know, I that's... He, not... I, yeah, I thought he was Eastern District of New York. Could be wrong. Yeah, this address, that's not the usual U.S. Attorney's Office address. I'll tell you that for sure, right? So, he, he's on some kind of special detail, too. There's nobody on here from USAO EDVA, <laughs> So, I, I bet the I bet that N Street address is Durham's uh, physical right. location. Yeah, I think those are all three special counsel guys. Even though technically, maybe Al Gore is 
uh, listing a DOJ, uh, you know, alternative address. But there's nobody on here from EDVA, and that's a mistake in the EDVA for sure. Yeah, on, on the other hand, um, let's not kid ourselves. Danchenko is going to get convicted if, if he doesn't cut a deal before that. Right, he's got a totally it, different situation than Sussman. I, agree. I mean, you, you, you could put whatever lawyer in there. He, he's going to get convicted. And, you know, part of the problem is that, I mean, for all the reasons you guys discussed, but there's also, you know, he's a Russian national. <laughs> he doesn't have Sussman privilege. And Sussman had the FBI in his office. They had an office in his office. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Danchenko is just a stooge. It's just a, just a guy who got a couple of thousand bucks from Christopher Steele for just making up stories. Well, and, he's a stooge yeah. that has uh, three, well, he's got two lawyers. He's had four. I'm looking at his side of the coin here now. And these lawyers that he's got, I know this firm. I know lawyers at this firm. They're good and straight up defense lawyers. Sure. And I'm sure they'll try their best, but he's yes. going to go down. Um, well, they'll probably and, work out a plea for him. They just haven't or, done it yet. Or, I agree or, with you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that. But the, again, you know, trying to zoom out here, the bigger problem there is that you got in terms of the narrative, it's it's appalling. And maybe that's I'm, <laughs> I, I think yeah. I, I don't want to you know, it's been terrible and everything with what all Durham, all his mistakes and so on. You know, I don't want to say that he did it, any of this on purpose. I don't think so. I, I, think, I don't think so either. He's, yeah. he's as upset as anyone else, and they just messed up. But, uh, it, he, you know, he doesn't have much to show for, for what he's done, and that, that's just a fact. But, um, you know, that aside, it sort of helps everyone. It certainly helps the Lindsey Graham types. It certainly helps the Democrats. It absolutely helps the FBI. I mean, it pretty much helps everyone to paint – Danchenko, you know, as this Russian guy. I mean, you had Evan Perez on, on one of the shows earlier tonight. I didn't see it. I just saw the tweet, you know. Oh, he was a Russian analyst, you know. <laughs> Even though he was, he's been in D.C. for however long, you know, 20 years or whatever. The, the point is this. It's so easy to say, oh, you know, everyone was duped. There's this Russian guy and he lied and he was this, you know, evil Russian and especially now. So, you know, uh, it, it just suits everyone. And I think everyone's going to jump on that, ba that bandwagon where kind of Danchenko becomes the scapegoat for all of this. Speaking uh, of uh, Danchenko's lawyers, uh, Leslie, you mentioned that they're uh, – quite good do you think that he can actually afford them or do you think that someone well, else that's is what i was wondering them? about when you said you know he's just a stooge who got a couple of grand because okay so the firm is shirtler and honorado we happen to know those lawyers pretty well um and shirtler was a prosecutor uh, back in the day in the u.s attorney's office these are guys are for real trial lawyers they're at a small firm but they're not going to still be cheap right so it's not going to be Latham and Latham's rec, you know, billing record late rates, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, somebody's, they're not doing that case for free. I know that. If, if I recall correctly on the Trump case, the civil case that Trump brought some Danchenko filed something there last week. And if I recall correctly, he used his wife's or his girlfriend's lawyer or just her or whatever. So, and that, I think that was a change in lawyer as well. Maybe mm. someone can sort of specify who, who, who remembers. But again, the point is that ever since he, Shamel dumped him or whatever happened there, Mark Shamel, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it's been kind of different. I, I think he's basically just been left by the wayside. Okay, you know, there you go. I mean, Shamel was top, top, top notch when he got him in, in January of 2017. And 
And Shamil worked out that deal with Laufman, you know, Candyman Laufman. And um, it all went well for him then. And yeah, he couldn't afford Shamil. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, and then Shamil hung around and Shamil fought tooth and nail. I mean, what Shamil mm -hmm. did on the Alpha case, I've never seen anything like that in terms of ethics and all, you know, just whatever it, he needed to do, he just d delayed, 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 mm. nonstop. You know, you're not going to talk to my guy. Uh, coming up with all kinds of stories. Uh, he, you know, Shamil accepted service and he said, it's fine. And then six months later, he said, no, 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 he never accepted service, even though he had, you know, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Oh, my. And then he played the, that same trick again. And, 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 you know, and in the end, what happened? Putin invaded Ukraine and the and the case went away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so right. sometimes by just delaying for two years, oh, yeah. you sort of you know, oh, yeah. you get what you, you want. But for some other kind of crazy thing intervenes. Sure. But but you know, as as much as I loathe the guy for I don't know him, but from from you know, mm. the, the stuff he submitted, the things he did, the things he said and so on, um, he did extremely well and he was not cheap, I'm sure of that. Um, but somehow well, somebody's seems... paying for these lawyers. Who oh, someone was paying is. for Shamel, right. and I've been asking ever since that name first, you know, popped up two years ago. I've been asking like every other month, like who's paying Shamel? Find that out, and mm. you know, you find out a lot more. Um, but anyway, long story short, is uh, obviously there's been some, some changes, and I, I I think they're not funding it anymore. Whoever it is is not funding it anymore. They're like, you know, Danchenko, you're on your own. Maybe, well, well, and that uh, would warrant the change. But also, these guys are for real trial lawyers. If they think they're going to trial, then you want Scherler's firm. You don't want Shamel in front of Judge Trenga. Yeah, I, I, I've looked at Shamel does not have a uh, stellar background. Shamel is, Shamel is where he's at as the result of a couple of uh, mergers of law firms. Uh, he was uh, in a small D.C. office of a firm that was, I think, based out of Atlanta. That firm merged with a U.K. firm. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it, through a series of transactions, suddenly the big U.K. firm had a D.C. office, which was Shamel. And then not long after that, Shamel was out of that firm and on to another firm, which means he was jettisoned by the U.K. firm. Uh, and, and, and I don't think something they didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shamel does not have a, a, a stellar pedigree where he where where Danchenko is now. He's in much better hands as a yeah. criminal defendant than where he yeah. was before. Absolutely. So I'm looking uh, at the docket on Sussman's case again. And the, this female lawyer, Deborah Bertain Shaw. OK, she's main justice. She's still not from the U.S. attorney's office. Right. She's from main justice fraud section. So oh, she's she's a, okay. Well, she's a detailing, but you're right. She's not with the U.S. Attorney's Office. Not she's with not the in US that courthouse office. every day. Right. But she's somebody that she's somebody that uh, that Durham picked. Right. But that's not helping him in terms of like you know the inside scoop that you need about what's going on at the courthouse. That's what they need. So. You know, I don't think Cooper would have had any idea who she was. Whereas you, in Dan Chico's case, if they're smart, the you know the U.S. Attorney's Office in the EDVA is good. They'll get one of those guys that Trenga knows, or gal too. But I don't think. But you know, as as Hans pointed, I don't think that case is going to trial. Probably not. Although if you got suddenly Shirtler and Honorado showed up, it might be. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll be watching that for sure. And yep. I'll be, I won't be able to say as much about it. I'm sorry to say. 
the, the reality may be that Durham has had his wings clipped. Yeah. Uh, that might because, encourage him to work something out with Denshenko. But yeah, and and it 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 appears to be affecting his uh, re- the resources he can bring to these cases because uh, I'm I continue to be surprised that these are the only cases he's filed. Right. I go back and forth as to whether or not that is going to stay that way. Because it seems pretty clear to me they they have a genuine interest in going after Joffe. But beyond that, unclear. Well, from what we found out last week, they have uh, Durham has Joffe dead to rights and has had for a long time <laughs> on, on two specific lies to the FBI, right. uh, to, to this Grasso guy. I mean, absolutely no question about it. But he, you know, he let the five-year statute lapse. So um, I asked that the other day. <laughs> Did he mess that one up too? Or does he have something else in mind for Joffe? And last week I, I answered my own question. He's got something else in yeah. mind for Joffe. Now I'm not so sure. I mean, maybe he just yeah. messed it up. So, um, Well, right. He could have I, just messed it up. But he does. I think they could make out a 1031 case against Joffe. And that's got a seven-year statute. So that at least is still viable. Whether he's got enough to indict that, I you know, haven't delved in in quite enough detail to, to look at. But it sounds like they think it's a real possibility. Um, so that, I think, is, is still hanging fire. Whether there's anything beyond that, I think, is really, really hard to say. But I go back and forth in my mind. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Joffe, I mean, I knew he was a complete piece of work, but yeah. uh, after last week, I mean, uh, <laughs> my opinion of him is, has gone even lower, a lot lower, which was, I didn't think possible. The guy is, uh, you know, I, I think Durham realized that too, because in yes. the closing, I, I wasn't there, but from, from how it's been reported, in the closing, they suddenly focused a lot on Joffe. And I think they realized too late that the, the whole sort of trial narrative, not that it would have made a difference again, you know, DC jury, but the whole trial narrative would have been a lot better if this had been a collusion between Sussman and Joffe and just kind of go easy on the Clinton stuff, Trump stuff, whatever. This is Sussman and Joffe because they probably realized Trying to screw that, over the, the FBI. Well, the jury Cooper really, didn't really... let them do it, though, in a way, right? They tried some of that, but he kept coming back to what's that have to do with this defendant? I mean, and he wasn't wrong in a way, <laughs> right? No, 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 you're right. Yeah. But I mean, I wasn't there, but I get, get, get the feeling that... Um, no one liked Joffe very much. Yeah. And uh, just, based, just based on the facts of what he did and what he yeah. said and what Grasso said, how on earth has that guy not been indicted? I, I just, it, it's, it boggles the mind. Well, he may find himself indicted. We'll see. But, you know, that's a messy charge, too. It's not like it's all going to be a whole lot easier, right? He's going to have all these, because that looks like a contract case. And yep. judges don't like that, and the juries don't like it too much either. No, and he's he's very wealthy, so that doesn't help either. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that right. I'm against Bill that. Hard. I'm, I'm always for people lawyers. having the best right. possible yep. defense and whatever. But right. <laughs> if you're up against people who have their wings clipped, both by DOJ and, in this case, by uh, by the judge, Judge Cooper, um, you've almost turned it around, you know, where uh, the government has unlimited resources and so on and so forth. Well... That didn't apply in this case. In this case, it was kind of almost the other way around. And that might be the case with Joffe as well, um, which I think was a tactical error uh, right from the start by going with, you know, uh, the FBI was duped. So um, 
it's very difficult for Durham to kind of paint himself sort of in the middle ground. I'm not really government because government is bad, but I'm not really the other side either. It, it's, I can understand why it's really, really I tough. I don't understand why they argued that anyway. Do you guys? Their own proof showed that the government wasn't duped. It's sort of like they tried to dupe us, but we caught them. But they were well, bad guys trying to dupe us. But that wasn't their narrative. Well, that was the thing on, on day one that I was just completely flabbergasted mm-hmm. by when uh, I think it was Britton Shaw when yeah. mm-hmm. she said uh, our FBI was duped or, you know, words to that effect. I know she said our FBI. <laughs> that part doesn't bother me so much, especially with the jury pool that they had. But the duped part, I was like, really? And then the more proof they put on, I thought to myself, that you told the jury something that your proof is contradicting. What's up with that? No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as we all learn uh, early on in law school and throughout, uh, always insulate yourself against all the bad stuff. Um, and I didn't hear anything on day one. And from what I saw in the transcripts, I didn't see anything where they said, oh, they said at the end on, on the last day, they said, you know, the FBI made mistakes. Yeah, that's true. Or whatever. Exactly. Should have where said was that, that the in front. their opening? Exactly. As soon as I uh, uh, heard those first few witnesses, I thought, well, this wasn't in her opening. Right. Come on. The government, the juries expect the government lawyers to deal them straight, not from the bottom of the deck. And when the government doesn't do that, the defense just starts racking up points. It doesn't really matter what the charge is. I had a little case one time, a really little case, but I proved that the detective lied. And that was it. Game over. You know, the foreman of the jury told me later. And they gasped. They gasped in the witness box because... You know, there's suburban people. They're not used to cops actually lying. Of course, you know, cops lie all the time. But, you know, these middle class and upper middle class people weren't used to that. And when it was clear that he lied, they were shocked to their toes. And the jury foreman told me afterward, you know, that was it. Game over. Is there any sense that you guys have any sense that uh, Durham's going to switch sides? Uh, In this case, you had the defense putting the FBI on trial, attacking mm-hmm. the FBI and its methods and motives. Uh, will Durham switch sides and take that tack and go after the seventh floor or some piece of the FBI in a conspiracy case? Well, I probably can't comment on that. Chip, you got anything you can say about that? I would say right now he would have the entire upper management of the FBI and Department of Justice against him. Um, and and so, you know, you take on the FBI and who are your witnesses? You know, that was sort of, I, I think that was a little bit of a tactical conundrum in the Sussman case. It's like, okay, do we say, do we try to pitch this case as the FBI as a you know, a certain members of the FBI as a co-conspirator when we're calling a parade of FBI agents to testify? The one thing I would say is compare their witness list in this case to the defendants in my case for Carter, and you will see that there is no overlap. Yeah, good point. If um, <laughs> Danchenko's lawyers could, of course, kind of... Uh, rip a page out of the Sussman book and, and do the same thing. You know, why didn't you ask my client this? Why didn't the, unfortunately we only have the transcript of the January 2017 interview and the FBI completely messed it up. Laufman <laughs> was there on the first day and I have a feeling he was sort of guiding things, but I don't want to go too far with that because he kind of, 
he felt comfortable enough not to be there on the second and third day. But they let Danchenko get away with a lot of stuff. But I don't think it's going to work for the uh, Danchenko people to go. Let's assume that, um, you know, Durham goes with the FBI was duped. Same, same narrative. Um, the problem for Danchenko with going with the Sussman defense on that is that uh, Danchenko repeated the lie over and over. They, I think they visited his home in Virginia, which is the only reason why this is all taking place in Virginia, because the initial lie was actually told in D.C., uh, but then, uh, you know, Durham smartly chose to go with the subsequent lies. So if you have this guy repeating it over and over, and four of them were tape recorded, and I think there was five interviews in total, so I assume the first one was not recorded and the other ones were, and they were surreptitiously recorded. So, um, you know, there's nothing you can do at that point about sort of being duped or whatever if uh, if you just keep repeating the lies. So that, that might it, so it might not be... It, Put it this way, in, in the Danchenko case, it might not be a problem for, for Durham, you know, what narrative he goes with. And if he goes with FBI was duped, that's fine. I agree with you guys on the, um, uh, you know, any, any other case that he brings, that that's going to be a real problem. Plus, he has all of them against him now. So uh, I, I don't think he's going to, I think he might have thought of it, but he's going to face so much pressure now to, to be shut down. Um, can you guys imagine what's going on in the background right now? You've got Garland, you've got Goodlander, you've got all these people, and they all want to shut it down. And now you've got the media as well. Well, I will say this. Durham does have some friendly witnesses, whistleblower types, uh, one of whom testified in, in the Sussman case. That's, the, that's Hellman, uh, the guy who, who spotted this Alpha Bank as a hoax. Uh, within a day, and I'm, I know there have to be others like him that he could probably make a case against a handful of higher ups who just ignored the facts, ignored the evidence, and went full speed ahead on a political witch hunt. Uh, whether he can, he has the political oomph to bring that is another question. Yeah, I assume he doesn't. Um, to be honest, I'm think I'm now thinking kind of Matt Gates, kind of that direction. You know, if if the GOP takes over in November, um, yeah, you know, I've given up on on criminal penalties for any of these people who deserve them. Uh, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, you know, all of these people. Um, they're all gonna just they, they're all just gonna walk. Um, so what I think is going to happen, well, I hope is going to happen, is that at least uh, people like Matt Gates, you know, who obviously understands what's going on is going to, uh, you know, use, use his subpoena powers, you know, given if, if they do get the majority, to at least get to the bottom of some of these things and at least get the documents out there. So at least we know. Um, it's, not, it's kind of second best, but at least, you know, in the end, hopefully we'll know. Well, Durham's going to do his report, I think, no matter what. I don't think Garling and folks can shut that down. No, he can't. He'll, he'll decide whether to publish it or not. I, I think he'll have to publish it. Mm-hmm. I agree. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I still don't think Durham is really on top of all the facts. I hate to say it, but, you know, I've, <laughs> I've seen again and again that. And, and I know where we're coming from in our little group here, our little corner on Twitter and so on. Um, so, but, you know, again and again, I just find that, oh, no, that's not quite right and so on. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to the report if there is one. But <laughs> right. I, 
I don't. Look, There's what, always stuff in reports that are wrong. Just always. That's just the way it is. What really needs to happen is that all this stuff needs to just come out in terms of, you know, just those text messages that came out the other day with, with Hellman. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the Hellman text messages themselves were almost worth the whole trial. Mm-hmm. Almost, they, they were almost worth the acquittal, whatever. You know. I thought that several times. <laughs> right. But there was new stuff there that was interesting, regardless of how it turned out. Oh, there was several. I mean, Mook admitting what happened. That was great, yeah. obviously. No. Um, I mean, there was so, so, some big highlights there. But yeah, that Hellman stuff was just so completely. I mean, the, someone someone on Twitter was saying like, you know, oh my God, that must be the 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 the, the most uh, sarcastic comment from a government employee ever or whatever. And <laughs> not only that, it was sent to his superior at the FBI. And it right. was it was so sorry. I mean, he was so sarcastic. It was just like, he was like, yeah, if I wanted to have a secret uh, server with uh, <laughs> a secret communications with Putin, I would call it scotthelman.com. <laughs> right. Yeah. He been, he was a good witness in person too. I will say. Oh, maybe Durham can have some more fun with him. Unfortunately, I think, you know, Durham's kind of, uh, had his chance and he blew it and it's going to be really difficult from now on. But, uh, yeah, as I said, the fact that it took, what, five, six years for that to come out with, with Hellman, um, there must be so much more there. I mean, there is so much more. I mean, Svetlana found, you know, this text message yesterday, which related to this, this white paper being shared with someone in London <laughs> in October of, of 2016. So mm-hmm. just out of kind of out of nowhere. So there are bound to be hundreds of these messages and things that we don't know about. And, you know, at this point... You know, I guess Durham's had his chance. I'd be much happier if we just got all the info and then we can just work it, work through it. Right. So we'll see. I think it's too, still a little too soon to say which way it's going to fall. But, you know, we'll see. All right. Well, I'm going to have to jump out here. I've got some motions that are awaiting my attention. So uh, not sure when uh, we'll have this spaces again, obviously, as uh, events develop. So I look forward to talking to everybody the next time we get together. Yep. Same here. I got to go as well. It's nice to talk to you guys as always. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, both of you. Leslie and Ship, it's always great to hear from you. Thanks. Bye. See you. Uh, Let's see here. Tell you what, guys, I uh, it's been a long day. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and end it here. Um, obviously, you know, we'll wait for further developments and see what happens. I I don't really plan on having like a scheduled spaces chat. Um, you know, it might be a, a pretty lengthy period before we see another indictment. I mean, I could see a case. You know, Joffe might be indicted, but I I don't know that it'll be until next year. So. Um, could be a while. Uh, maybe we'll do something at random at some point, especially as we get through the rest of these exhibits and see if there's anything else um, that's interesting. So I'll go ahead and end it here. I hope everybody's having a good night. Hope everybody has a good week. And I will see you next time. <laughs>